Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, the ACLU of Georgia responds to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's support for a U.S. citizens-only voting state amendment. Fortunately, Georgia code already makes clear that only U.S. citizens are allowed to vote in Georgia. But we are seeing disturbing trends across the country that makes this issue too important to be left up to future legislatures. Everyone should agree. Only American citizens should vote in our elections in Georgia. Coming up later, I'll speak with Christopher Bruce from the ACLU of Georgia. Um, speaking of elections, there's controversy regarding the newly appointed Fulton County Elections Board Chair Kathy Woolard. Now, Democrat Fulton Commissioner Khadija Abdul-Rahman, who voted no to Woolard's appointment, spoke to Closer Look yesterday. We are in too fragile of a situation here in Georgia with SB 202 to even give the perception or the hint of doing anything inappropriate. And more importantly, that position, it it requires a person to be impartial. It is the chairman's position. Now, coming up in just a moment, we'll hear Commission Chair Rob Pitts' response. All that's next. But first this, there's major news regarding the state's largest transit system, of course, MARTA. Starting October 4th, weekly COVID-19 testing will be required for unvaccinated MARTA employees. A news release from the Transit Authority says nearly half of the current employees are fully vaccinated. In a statement, CEO Jeffrey Parker said more than 800 employees have been infected by COVID-19 and three sadly have died. He added, quote, it's time to get our entire workforce vaccinated to protect not only themselves, but their families, co-workers and customers, close quote. The announcement follows another recent decision by MARTA to require all new hires to be vaccinated. In other news, North Georgia businesswoman Jennifer Strahan calls herself a political outsider. But as she plans to challenge incumbent U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene in next April's GOP primary, Strahan says that's not a bad thing for Georgia's 14th district. I recognize that our district is not currently being represented and um, we don't have a voice at the table Strahan's bid to unseat Green comes as the lower chamber already voted to strip Green, who's often cited for controversial and untrue statements of her committee assignments. This happened back in February. Now, Mark Clay of Rome has also filed to run in the GOP contest. WABE is reaching out to Clay for an interview as well. And you can hear more on what's pushing Strahan to challenge Green at WABE.org. 
And finally, forecasters say scattered showers and thunderstorms will batter north and central Georgia throughout the weekend. The National Weather Service says some of the storms could produce heavy rain, gusty winds and frequent lightning. And unfortunately, just as thousands are set to mosh together for the Music Midtown Festival in Piedmont Park. So watch out for those mud puddles. And in the spirit of Clint Eastwood, y'all stay off my lawn, but stay safe and enjoy. You're tuned to Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Close Look continues. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Fulton County's Board of Elections has a new chairperson. Longtime Democrat and public servant Kathy Woolard replaces Alex Wan, who resigned earlier this year. Now, Woolard's nomination and appointment was controversial because of her past work as a consultant for Fair Fight Action. At least that was through the eyes of state Republicans and Democrat Commissioner Khadija Abdur-Rahman, who voted no to Willett's appointment. Now, here's what she told us yesterday on Closer Look. Given the fact that we are paused for a state takeover, given the fact that I presented Alicia Ivey, Abby Martin, Amanda Mattingly, Sherry Allen, Greg Fannin, and Kathy Willard, all of those names were presented for a slate for us to vet as to who would be best. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not received. Uh, it was rejected by Chairman Pitts. He wanted to wholly go forward with Kathy Woolard. And as of last week, when he reached out to her, she was still a lobbyist for Fair Fight. And so my position is this, and sometimes, you know, they will be lonely positions, but we must do what's right first. Well, as for Fulton County Commission Chair Rob Pitts' response, we called him up earlier and had a conversation. Chairman Pitts, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Great to be with you again. Let's begin with this. Why was Kathy Woolard your choice for Fulton County's election board chair? Because I think that once once Alex Juan notified me that he was considering a uh, run for his uh, old seat on the Atlanta City Council, I began to compile a list of qualified uh, people that I uh, felt could handle that job, uh, particularly during this period of time. And I actually had a list, a short list of about five or six people. Uh, They were all equally qualified, but for various reasons, either personal and or professional, uh, they had to decline. And the one exception to that was uh, former council member and my friend, former council president as well, uh, Kathy Woolard. Why Kathy Woolard? Mm-hmm. First of all, uh, 
she's even-handed, she's fair, she knows how to fight for what's right. And it really takes a unique person to fill this role. And quite frankly, we're incredibly lucky to have her stepping up to this challenge at this time. I mean, now voters and citizens of the county should know that they're in great hands, in good hands with Kathy Woolard at the helm. And we also, when you have trusted community groups, such as the NAAC, the NAACP, the Coalition for the People's Agenda, the League of Women Voters, singing her praises, you know you have the right person. So I'm incredibly pleased to see my, my nomination of her get confirmed, especially in a bipartisan fashion. So you spent time speaking with these other groups that you felt were important that could give some insight or some input on this being your choice. Oh, the, those groups called me to express their support when it was announced and placed on the public agenda that I would be nominating her. Mm-hmm. Uh, groups called me uh, to, to express their support and express their support in an open letter. Plus, there were probably 50, 100 other letters that we received in support of her, her nomination. And this all came about because at the previous meeting, when uh, my friend, by the way, Alicia Ivey's name was put forward, um, there was some conversation about her. And in fact, and since this all has happened, Ms. Ivey had really asked that her name be, she didn't want to be a pawn in this, and she'd asked that her name be removed, which I did not find out about until after the vote on uh, on Wednesday. Because she is a good person, she's a good friend of mine, a longtime friend, but in this instance, I'm convinced that Kathy Woolard is the right person for this position at this time. Commissioner Rockman cites the vetting process to begin with through her eyes was problematic. Your response to that, Chairman Pitts? What, what, is, what do you mean by the vetting process? That she presented a slate of folks and that through her lens, you all should have carefully considered each one, but you came in with your sole pick, your sole nomination for this appointment. That's probably a fundamental lack of understanding of the process. And that happens when new people come on, uh, come on uh, to a board like this. Uh, our process has been and will continue to be any commissioner can nominate someone when it is a full board uh, uh, nomination. Any commissioner can nominate someone, keyword someone, which I did, not a slate. Mm-hmm. So slate was presented uh, that was out of order. And you have to go back. Now, I don't want to get too, too, uh, too involved in, in the parliamentary procedure here, but at the previous meeting, Miss Ivy's name was before us. It failed to receive the requisite number of votes for approval. Therefore, it failed. But our rules allow for when a piece of legislation like that fails, it, it's automatically on the agenda at the next meeting, which was the case. So we took that up. However, in the meantime, uh, this slate came forward. There's no such thing as a slate. You either nominate one person or not. So, and then, and it was presented to us as a uh, modification, so to speak, versus an amendment. So as presiding officer, and I take pride in my knowledge of uh, our internal policies and procedures, as well as Robert's rules of order, Mm -hmm. I ruled that that slate was out of order. So then we went back to the original legislation before us, which was uh, was, uh, 
uh, Alicia Ivan. And that was my, let me finish. Sure. That was my ruling. So I also said, I'm ruling that this is out of order because it's a slate and not one person. However, I always say that is my ruling, but I will also entertain a motion to override my ruling. At that point, uh, my colleague uh, made a motion to override my ruling, and I asked for a second. No one seconded the motion because they knew that I was correct. Therefore, that motion failed. Let me ask you this, because I'm going to play a clip in just a moment, but Willard's association with Fair Fight Action, an, an organization founded by fellow Democrat Stacey Abrams, do you see that as a conflict or you don't see that as a conflict because she was working with them and had registered as a lobbyist? Well, there's nothing wrong with being a lobbyist, number one. Sure. She's a reg registered lobbyist at the state uh, and other places, I assume. And uh, it was a it was true that at one point in the past, she did uh, uh, some work for Fair Fight. Nothing wrong with that. But she has she is not no longer involved with fair fight. So that notion that was put forward by the Secretary of State and one of my colleagues was totally false. She is no longer affiliated with fair fight. I want to play another clip from Commissioner Rockman, who says that the fact through her lens, because she does see it as a conflict, that this could be a problem for the county. Take a listen. That is a lightning rod. I, I call on her to step down from the Georgia gang. We are in too fragile of a situation here in Georgia with SB 202 to even give the perception or the hint of doing anything inappropriate. And more importantly, that position, it, it requires a person to be impartial. It is the chairman's position. Does Commissioner Rockman have any valid points to the concern that Kathy Willard's appointment would add fuel to the state Republicans burning desire to take over your county's elections department? Absolutely not. Uh, the Secretary of State knows this. If there, if there ever was a person who is fair and impartial, it is Kathy Woolard. She is a straight shooter. The fact that she had been a lobbyist or is a lobbyist, there's nothing wrong with that. That is the legal profession. Uh, she is no longer affiliated with Fair Fight. Uh, take that off the table. So this notion about this is fuel. You got to understand, Secretary of State, and I'm surprised that others are buying into this. He's in a desperate situation. So anything that he can do to continue to talk about this big lie and the fact that uh, former President Trump will be here in a week or two. So he's doing everything he can to keep himself in the news to, uh, you know, to, to, to try to repair his broken relationship with former President Trump. He's going to do this recent note uh, about him now wanting to say that, uh, I forget what he called it, uh, uh, not illegals, but. Uh, well, he said it was blatantly political. Not political. Uh, I'm not sure what he's talking about. I'm not sure what my colleague is talking about. To look at uh, Kathy Woolard's record, you would not have had a uh, the support that she had from the community, a wide range of community organizations supporting her. People know her, they know her work, and she is going to do an outstanding job, and I am proud to have supported her and nominated her. Chairman Pitts, you know that because of SB 202, which obviously has a provision that allows a state to take over 
elections management from local governing bodies. And, and Fulton has been, you know, the, um, the main county always mentioned. Secretary Raffberger has said that then he would do everything in his power to replace the entire board. So you prefer you are set for potentially a fight here. Uh, he, he knows that that's just pure nonsense. He cannot unilaterally take over Fulton's elections board. There is a process in place based upon Senate Bill 202. And, but we don't know, and neither do they know what that process is going to be yet. We haven't even been notified of any hearings, what the process is going to be. But he's not, he's no longer even a member of the board. So I'm not sure what he's talking about other than making wild, crazy, foolish statements to keep his name uh, before the public. Chairman, as we begin to wrap up, do you and Commissioner Khadijah Abdul-Rahman, can y'all agree to meet maybe, hash all this out? Hash what out? I mean, I meet, uh, you know, I have a long uh, history of public service, always get along, have will, uh, always gotten along with all of my colleagues, city council member, member of the board here at Not Chair. I have an open door policy. Uh, any of my colleagues uh, or their staff people are free to come to see me at any time. I have no ill will, no ill feeling against any of my colleagues. We work together, uh, be you Democrat or Republican or independent. So I represent 1,200,000 people who live in Fulton County and uh, I work very well with my colleagues. Will we differ on issues from time to time? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, but as long as I'm chair, we're going to do it respectfully and we're going to uh, to observe uh, the decorum that is due a body like the Fulton County Commission. And I'm not going to put up with nonsense and foolishness, period. As we know that coming up in November, a percentage of Fulton County voters will head to the polls. Uh, there's the East Bloss and Tees Bloss measures as well as the municipal elections between now and then. What will you all do to make sure Election Day and everything related prior to in Fulton can run as smoothly as possible? We are working diligently now to uh, to prepare to make sure that we have adequate polling places, that we have an adequate number of poll workers, that we are prepared to run a successful election just as we did in 2020 when we were praised by Secretary of State, uh, our Secretary of State. And I'm certain that our fall elections will be as successful as they were in 2020, without a doubt. Well, then, finally, Chairman Pitts, want to ask you, getting to the pandemic, how is Fulton doing? Are you? I know you're paying close attention to those numbers. Where are you right now? Are you still? Are you all still trying to get more folks vaccinated? We were a, a leader, a leader of the state in, in the state in testing. We were the leader of the state in vaccinations. That's well and good, all well and good, but that's not good enough. We still have a number of people in this, in our county uh, who are still uh, not vaccinated. Uh, so we have about, we're approaching 60%, I think it's about 58% of the residents of Fulton County who had at least one dose, but that's not good enough. So we have a full court press on to get as many of our citizens uh, vaccinated as possible and with particular emphasis in the black and brown community. Mm -hmm. So it's a full court press for us and uh, we're taking it very seriously uh, with respect to incentives. And, and let me add this, with respect to Fulton County employees, uh, I propose that we uh, we require, mandate 
that our, our 5,000 employees that they have to have a, a shot or agree to be tested, I think it's every 48 hours with a negative test, failing to do so for three times will result in termination. So we're very serious about this. We're going to set the example here with our internal workforce. That's for all Fulton County employees. Correct. That's correct. But I imagine there are exemptions, for example, if there's a medical or religious reasons. Correct. Correct. Fulton County Commission Chair Rob Pitts, as always, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Always great to be with you. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. More election stuff to talk about. Yesterday, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger called an early morning press conference. Now, he says there's proof non-citizens are voting in elections throughout the nation. Now, this isn't the first time Secretary Raffensperger has called attention to the issue. But yesterday, he reiterated why he feels it's necessary. Fortunately, Georgia code already makes it clear that only U.S. citizens are allowed to vote in Georgia. But we are seeing disturbing trends across the country that makes this issue too important to be left up to future legislatures. Everyone should agree only American citizens should vote in our elections in Georgia. Raffensperger says that's why he is in favor of, quote, an amendment to the Georgia Constitution limiting participation in state and local elections to American citizens, close quote. Now, the process for this would mean the General Assembly would pass an amendment in the House and Senate, however, by two thirds majority. Then next, the measure is placed on a ballot and would either be approved or not approved in a statewide election by y'all, the voters. Well, joining me now with reaction to Secretary Raffensperger's amendment push is Christopher Bruce, policy director for the ACLU of Georgia. And a note of disclosure, the ACLU of Georgia is an underwriter here at WABE. Director Bruce, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, Great to be on, Rose. And thank you for following up on this story because it seems there's a lot of misinformation that's out there right now and uh, happy to help clarify anything. Well, let's back up a little bit. Uh, first, just your overall reaction to uh, Secretary Raffensperger. Again, as noted, he did mention this, uh, I think, back last month. So it's not necessarily new, but he called a press conference yesterday. So just your overall reaction to this next step by the secretary. Well, it's a, a range from disappointing to infuriating. Uh, we already have stated in the United States Constitution that only permits uh, citizens to vote in federal elections. And as pointed out by our own Secretary of State, there's already Georgia law on this. OCGA Section 21-2-216A2 and 21-2-216G1 bars any person from voting in any primary or election held in Georgia if they are not a citizen of Georgia and a citizen of the United States. There is no reason for him to call a press conference based on this topic, especially nothing happening in Georgia at this time, when he could be focused on making sure that Georgians who have been alienated in Senate Bill 202 have more accessibility to voting. Secretary Raffensperger cited other cities and said that's a growing trend allowing non-citizens to vote. And he mentioned some some cities. Your thoughts? 
He mentioned cities outside of the state of Georgia, and he didn't back it up with any other type of laws or anything else. And I'm glad that he did bring up other states and cities outside of the state of Georgia, because in other cities and other states, like in Utah, they are allowed to put drop boxes basically anywhere within the entire state. It is very easy to access an absentee ballot. And by the way, let me put forth this, not to get too political, Utah is a supermajority Republican state, which is making it easier for making people to vote. While we have a secretary of state who has endorsed a bill, Senate Bill 202, which explicitly makes it harder. So instead of focusing on a answer in search of a problem, we have plenty of problems that have already been put forth that we do need answers to, to make sure that every eligible Georgian can vote. When asked if there were cases here in Georgia where non-citizens voted or attempted to vote, uh, Raffensperger responded with this. We've had a few isolated instances that have happened uh, in the state of Georgia that came before the state election board and we've referred those to the attorney general for prosecution. So, Director Bush, uh, it's kind of hard to hear. It was not the great greatest audio, but uh, Secretary Raffensperger saying there were a few isolated incidents, not given an exact number, but a few isolated incidents. And he could expound upon that, and we can look at that within the community to see what's happening, because I am not aware of any instances that have happened. But as he said, he already went through a procedure of letting people know what happened when uh, a certain type of instance that he allegedly claims happened, uh, reporting this and sending it over to the attorney general for prosecution. Instead of doing all that, why doesn't he get in front of the issue, make education the uh, priority for his office, educate the voters, educate immigrants, immigrants are saying this is the people who can vote and these are the people who cannot vote uh, altogether. So well, again, priorities. Okay. Raffensperger says that Georgia statute regarding non-citizens, regarding citizens being able to vote. Now he said that there could be a loophole here. And as he put it, then some lawyer could attempt to exploit that and it could be reviewed by the courts. And then through his lens, you could have non-citizens being allowed to vote. Are you aware of any loophole? I am not aware of any loophole. And I believe he had mentioned also that city of Clarkston was attempting to do this type mm -hmm. of situation, but they actually did not go forward with it, um, which I'm unaware of. And looking at the way home rule is set up in Georgia, any change to a municipality's charter has to be approved by the state legislature because cities are a creation of the Georgia Constitution. So even if another city did try to, it would still have to go through the state legislature. The Secretary of State, again, needs to be focused on making sure that people can vote. People can vote instead of focusing on other issues that are not even a problem in the state. Through your lens, then, why do you think then Secretary of State Raffensperger is, again, bringing this to the public and saying that he wants the General Assembly to take this up, vote, and then eventually the amendment being decided by Georgia voters? You know, that's very interesting that this is coming, especially coming at this time before municipal elections and then going into the 2022 uh, midterms altogether, because he has pointed out that it's being put forth by an advocacy group not located in the state of Georgia, while other advocacy groups have come to him consistently and saying, why can't we do and ensure that all 159 counties 
already and completely necessary for ID requirements for absentee ballot voting. Uh, again, another issue that he could be focused on. You said you wanted to make sure there were some things that were cleared up. Again, Georgia has laws. There's a statute yes, that's very uh, clear. Go to ahead. be perfectly clear with uh, the people who are listening right now and everybody else who may be considering this, you have to be very careful with any time you are amending the Georgia Constitution. That is our sacred document that we go by for our laws and procedures within it. You cannot just uh, amend the Georgia Constitution because you come up with an idea for, again, an answer in search of a problem. While we already have two codes in our state legislative uh, laws, body of laws, that already addresses the issue. Again, there is no reason why he should be going forward with this and no reason why we should base taxpayer dollars and resources on this needless issue. Well, you, earlier, uh, Director Bruce, you said not to be too political, but let's be really clear when it comes to voting in elections, it's always political. <laughs> um, former President Donald Trump is scheduled to be in Georgia uh, sometime soon. Do your lens, is this a, a, a political power move on on behalf of Secretary Raffensperger to maybe garner support from Trump supporters? It, you know what? It could be. Um, and again, not to go too into it, because the reason and as you know, this uh, Rose, the ACLU is a nonpartisan organization. Sure. So we're here to work with every governmental entity, regardless of their political affiliation, to make sure that your civil rights and civil liberties are being upheld. And there's nothing more sacred than your right to vote in our democracy. So looking into is the Secretary of State trying to gain um, a, another demographic's uh, ability to vote or get their endorsement? He can do that, and he can do that by make, doing his job of making sure that Georgians have all accessibility to their right to vote. And go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. I'll let you finish. Oh, well, uh, with former President Trump, uh, coming to Georgia and bringing up misinformation altogether, uh, it's, it is a slippery slope into what we are already experiencing right now. And that's why I was going forward with dealing with misinformation. Uh, we're listening to a lot of people who do not know what they're talking about and faming, flame, uh, fanning flames mm -hmm. that have led to, unfortunately, um, misinformation, people not trusting our democratic process. So we want to ensure election integrity. And that's what the Secretary of State should be focused upon. Given that the Republicans control the General Assembly, one way of putting it, uh, how optimistic, though, are you that this does not pass in terms of this ending up on a ballot for Georgia voters to to decide whether or not to, to agree with it? You well, think Raffensperger has that much influence? I think we've seen within the past year or so that there's a lot of people who have questioned the Secretary of State and the ability of the Secretary of State to have elections uh, run smoothly. Uh, we've often had times where we're dealing with Democrats or Republicans in this situation. Senate Bill 202, we were there at the Capitol at 7 a.m. for every hearing, making sure that the voices of Georgians were heard uh, dealing with this type of situation. The Secretary of State at this time, again, should be more focused on dealing with the issues that are in the state of Georgia um, when it comes to voting. 
instead of dealing with political playmanship. Uh, otherwise, we would actually be in a better position. The Secretary of State himself has admitted that the past election, the 2020 election, went out without a hitch. Uh, all types of election integrity. We had three recounts, one by Georgia Bureau of Investigations that found no fraud at all. So that's why this is a very scary issue for him to be bringing up at this time, because it may call into question the election integrity, which, again, by his own words, we did not have an issue with in 2020. I do want to get your thoughts on something that which was the, the segment before this, because with Senate Bill 202 becoming law and giving uh, basically the power of the state to over overtake or take over, however you want to put it, a, a mm-hmm. county or a local elections, management of elections. Uh, how concerned are you that this could happen for Fulton County, which obviously is the largest voting block in the state? With uh, several minorities who vote within Fulton County, and look, a great segment beforehand. I first want to comment on the appointment of Kathy Woolard. No one is questioning Kathy Woolard's competency of being chair of the Board of Elections. So getting more into the policy elements and procedural elements of actually being someone to make sure that this office is running properly and representing the um, residents of Fulton County, no one has ever called that into question. Mm -hmm. People are calling to question partisanship, and that's a different type of issue. We're trying to focus on the Secretary of State's office, the State Election Board, and making sure that the residents of Fulton County have their voices heard. We have 159 counties, all have different Board of Elections altogether. It's the residents of Fulton County who should be the ones determining how voting should happen within their own county instead of having a state takeover process even being mentioned. It's it's interesting to say that the only county that's always being mentioned is Fulton County dealing with the state election takeover instead of any other counties which do have issues and which is what the Secretary of State should be focused on. He could have had a press conference that said, hey, we are ready for the upcoming 2021 municipal elections. And this is what we're going to do to make sure that every county is ready for the 2022 municipal elections. But instead of you getting that guarantee from your secretary of state, he's putting forth an unnecessary Georgia constitutional amendment. But if if he is saying, if he's very public about that he would replace the entire board, how concerning is that, though? Oh, that's very concerning. That is very concerning because, again, it goes along with an election integrity. He has to come up with more things of saying this is why he even feels like this is necessary altogether. And the fact that he's no longer on the state election board and the state legislature made that so really kind of pulls away any type of sway and credibility that he has within this process. If the state wanted this to go forward, the state would have done that in a different way of empowering him to do it. And that is not under um, the realms of Senate Bill 202. And he knows that. Raffensperger has said, and I'm quoting here, what I'm concerned about is her extreme bias, partisan bias that she's going to be bringing. What we expect from every county elections director to walk that straight line of personal integrity and follow the process, follow the law, run a good election we do not need boards coming in now and pushing partisan agendas. Now, we're talking about board chair. She's not the Fulton right. County Elections Director, which are two separate things here. 
Yes, and I'm glad that you're pointing that out as well. So as board chair, she has a certain amount of duties to execute and hopefully make sure that the process is done compared to Richard Barron, who is the director of the Fulton County Board of Elections altogether. So Secretary of State Raffensperger did not point out this partisan agenda that he believes uh, Chairwoman Kathy Willard does have. And I'm going to say Chairwoman because she was appointed by mm -hmm. the Fulton County Board of Commissioners at this time. So again, dealing with the same issue of trying to come up with a Georgia constitutional amendment, which he has not pointed towards any type of instances, he's saying the same thing about uh, the appointment of Chairman Willard. Again, nothing in that statement calls into question her competency to do the job, but is calling into question is she partisan within this type of issue and yet has not brought up any type of situation or instances to support that. Director Bruce, you all, the ACLU of Georgia, you all had several representatives that uh, attended the redistricting public hearings, which took place before the actual census data came out. Uh, what concerns do you all have about how this process is going to play out here in Georgia? Yes, the ACLU of Georgia heard from our members about the type of role that we want to play in redistricting, and they said we want to be at the forefront. So we went to every hearing across the state, and you had an ACLU of Georgia staff member speaking, as well as members of the ACLU in those areas, telling them exactly what uh, type of situations they want of redrawing the lines. Redrawing the lines is going to happen. It's just how this is going to happen altogether. So yeah, I am... Oh, go ahead. No, no, finish. I just have a lot of questions. That's all. You know me. I know. It's, we're, <laughs> it's an exciting topic uh, that we know can determine how the lines, uh, how the legislature will be uh, executed for the next 10 years. So that's what members are really concerned about. And they want to make sure their voices are heard for a fair process where we no longer have uh, elected officials picking the people that they represent. We want the people to pick their elected officials. Well, then should the, the committee, the, the General Assembly Committee that oversees this, should they once again go back to public comment now that the data is out from the census? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and they should hear from these members. They should break down the data that was put forth by the United States Census Bureau and let these members know what changes happened in their community. We did that based off of other data pieces that we had put forth. And that was a very time consuming and very resource intensive process. The state legislature has the funds and resources to do this type of thing of saying in your community, this is how many more uh, people of color or minorities have moved in. This is the changes in the voting age population uh, within your community. These are the type of situations that people in those communities want to know about so they know that their voices are being heard down at the state capitol. Not only should they go back and do the process over again with more public input, the public input should never stop. If there are any type of maps, any type of communications or anything, that needs to be transparent within the process, as well as standards that are looked at uh, for the process for Georgians to either approve or not approve. Well, you mentioned the voting age population. Well, there was some other, uh, this, in terms of the statewide demographics that we know based on the information from the census, look, Georgia grew by almost 10 percent between 2010 and, and 2019. The number of black folks in Georgia increased by 15 percent 
Asian folks, 40 percent, and the population of Hispanics increased by 22 percent. So that could obviously lead to some trends in terms of voter demographics. And we're going to continue to see those trends in the state of Georgia. Georgia is a great place for people to grow, raise their families, have a job, and be citizens uh, altogether. It's the state legislature that needs to recognize that, and they need to have more public input within that process. So going along with that, you cannot have certain bills like Senate Bill 202, which disproportionately impacts people of color when you see the rise of people of color within the state of Georgia. We should be focusing on making sure that they have a bigger microphone to deal with the issues that are happening within their community and their state instead of taking it away. And Director Bruce, before I let you go, I do want to get your thoughts on this because there is some rumors, there is some some narrative being talked about. Could Georgia have a similar measure as the one in Texas as it relates to abortion? Uh, your thoughts on that, and you see that coming up in the next General Assembly, in the next legislative session? Well, yes, very concerned about uh, the measure that passed in Texas and the talks about another type of issue coming up uh, in the year. Now, we worked uh, in the Georgia legislature with other reproductive justice groups to stop the abortion ban last year, and it passed, and we sued, and now it's been stayed and is mm-hmm. not going, it's not uh, in effect here in Georgia. I want to reassure listeners about that. And the talks right now will go into, we're going to do the same thing this year. We're going to work with other reproductive justice groups to make sure that we are furthering reproductive justice in the state of Georgia instead of pushing it back. And I can tell you, and you've had interviews with my executive director and our legal director, the ACLU of Georgia will be ready. Christopher Bruce, policy director for the ACLU of Georgia. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And before I let you give your parting comment, a note of disclosure, the ACLU of Georgia is an underwriter of WABE. Director Bruce, thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Rosen. Thank you for uh, bringing this necessary topic to the forefront. Take care. And Closer Look continues now. I'm Rose Scott. You know, he told the world he was the greatest. And at the age of 22, after defeating Sonny Liston for the heavyweight title of the world, Muhammad Ali, in 1964, began a journey no other athlete would ever embark upon. Sit back and listen to this. Boo, yell, scream, throw peanuts, but whatever you do, pay to get in. People hated him, whether it was along racial lines, class lines, Vietnam lines, political lines, religious lines, where they just couldn't stand him. And people, of course, had the opposite, and this was, I loved him, loved him. But you had an opinion about him. Look how pretty I am. Trim legs and my beautiful arms and a pretty nose and mouth. I know I'm a pretty man. I know I'm pretty. You don't have to tell me I'm pretty. I'm cocky. I'm proud. Never talk about who's gonna stop me. Well, ain't nobody gonna stop me. I say what I wanna say. Ain't no more big talking like this. He was a pioneer. He was a revolutionary. He was a groundbreaker. A guy known simply as the greatest. I am the greatest. 
I've wrestled with alligators. I've tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning and put thunder in jail. You know I'm bad. I can drown the drink of water and kill a dead tree. This will be no contest. Wait till you see Muhammad Ali. To have that chutzpah and to be a black man in America was just, it was outlandish. Muhammad means worthy of all phrases and Ali means most high. And I just don't think I should go 10,000 miles from here and shoot some black people that never caught me. I just can't shoot it. I always wonder why Miss America was always white. Santa Claus was white. White swan soap, king white soap, white cloud tissue paper, and everything bad was black. Black cat was the bad luck, and if I threaten you, I'm going to blackmail you. <laughs> so Mama wanted to call it white male. They lied, too. I love being around him. I love being around Muhammad Ali. You will float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Ah, rumble, young man, rumble. Ah, the price of freedom comes high. I have paid, but I am free. Freedom, freedom, I can't move. Freedom, cut me loose. The winner freedom, and still heavyweight champion. This Sunday, premiering on our PBS station, ATL PBA, it begins. The four-part Ken Burns documentary, Muhammad Ali. I tell you, that is going to be something. Ah, rumble, young man, rumble. Again, part one is Sunday night at 8 p.m. on our PBS station, ATL PBA. That's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know always your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And a programming note beginning next Monday, yeah, next week, we will start a series of one-on-one conversations with all those folks running for Atlanta City Council president. And if you're wondering what exactly does the Atlanta City Council president do, well, we'll all find out and why. So those conversations starting next Monday, and our first guest will be Doug Shipman. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us. 
WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.